أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين um, السلام عليكم everyone this is Rashad Norze with Imam Fuad and, and Brother Salmad we are we are you know with you again now a couple of weeks in a row we're excited to be back السلام عليكم Imam Fuad and Salmad عليكم السلام ورحمة الله وبركاته وعليكم السلام ورحمة الله وبركاته So it's great to have you guys back, and I'm glad we're we're getting a chance to uh, to do something slightly different today. I know we, we still want to touch on some of the current events, but we have a really exciting book that has recently been uh, is still in the process and is just completing its uh, its translation and adaptation to English. And so I hope uh, we'll get sort of just an introduction to that book, and we'll learn a little bit about a little bit more about it, inshallah, in the, the second part of this conversation. But uh, but to start things off, I, I, I think the news, uh, you know, even globally, there haven't been significant changes except that, you know, wildfires have been, uh, you know, pretty drastic. And I saw a report recently that was pretty um, surprising as well. I know, Sarmad, you shared one of those images of the, uh, the fire tornadoes. That's yeah. like an incredible thing to see. And I saw another image where they said, we now, I think in 2019, have exceeded all of the letters of the alphabet, so the, those 26 letters, for naming hurricanes. And so they showed that wow. simultaneously, I think there's like five different hurricanes over in the Gulf Coast, over in south uh, uh, on the southeast coast of the, the U.S. And they're going to move into like the Greek alphabet letters to name them. But, you know, maybe just to take another step back and to put all of this into perspective, I was a little more surprised because... People now are, I think someone even said, you know, if you're going for the apocalypse, we need X, like there's a couple of things missing, basically, um, which is almost they're doing it in a mocking way. And I can imagine in a, in a sense, um, it, it, it shook me a little bit when I heard this particular late night talk show uh, make this mockery of a joke in that he was referring to something in, in the biblical text meaning like the plagues that Moses mentioned to Pharaoh. So, you know, one after another. And he's be, the, 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 the late night talk show host is basically saying like, well, look, you're missing this one. So when I thought to myself and I saw these other images, it, it hit me a little bit more than usual in that there does seem to be something drastically different. It's not just like a normal year of, of issues. And I was wondering how you guys felt about that. Did you guys find that there's something more here? So, someone go ahead. No, I mean, subhanAllah, every single time I see some crazy phenomenon, like, bro, tornadoes in California, so, tornadoes in California, like, like that, you know, like that's unheard of. And it's mixed with fire. Like, yeah. So what I was saying was, um, subhanAllah, just seeing this, this video of the fire with a tornado, like swirling in California of all places in the country where you've never seen this type of phenomenon before. Um, at least I, I never seen it before in, in the state of California. Um, and uh, it reminds you of the verse in Surah Rahman where Allah SWT says, uh, That he has raised up the sky and he has set the balance so that you do not transgress that balance and establish weight in justice and do not make deficient the balance. That so, no. this mizan now that we're seeing the unfolding of uh, in front of our eyes is human 
uh, is being done, like there's a spiritual connection between the actions of, uh, of, of humanity and the mizan that Allah has established. And you're seeing that unfolding of that before our very eyes. Subhanallah. You know, it's ajeeb. When I saw that video of the tornado with the fire, like this is not, you know, there's, it's not even a normal tornado. This is something completely different. You know, I've seen videos before, you know, when you watch the movies, the world is ending. Uh, you have the, the tornadoes that are, you know, completely of fire, not, you know, together. So, you know, to see something like this and then to actually see, like, uh, recently, um, you know, the reasons why these fires started. Right. There are some people that are actually, you know, on purpose, you know, lighting these fires and, and, and starting these uh, fires. Is that true? Right. I keep hearing that's rumors. You know, I was uh, I was watching on uh, CNN. I rarely watch TV, but when I do, it's either, you know, CNN or uh, Sports Center. And there was a few people that were arrested for wow. starting fires in different places. Mm-hmm. Right. I know there was one in, uh, there's a person in Oregon uh, that uh, he started the fire and now they're trying to try him for murder because of, wow. uh, you know, the, the people that died and the people that they don't know have died yet. So, it, you know, there are like, you know, we the, the, the easiest thing to say is, you know, this is happening because of climate change. But then when you look at it and you realize like climate change, the, the global warming is something we're all causing together. Right, so you wouldn't know who to blame for it, but to like to see there's actual people that are starting these fires, and because of the way you know the the earth has been uh, heating up, that this blows up to or you know uh, blows up to what we see now. It's like Subhanallah, these are you know there's, there's actual people that are responsible for this. Yeah, I think the other thing I wanted to highlight from this that at least I I noticed was. There was a conversation. I think uh, uh, Trump visited the visited California and you know spoke to experts mm-hmm. about the wildfires. And there's that interaction he has with one of the um, uh, the California you know I don't know if this is from the fire department of summer, but the, you know Trump is trying to focus on vegetation management. This person is saying, "Hey, this is a much bigger issue. You know, global mm-hmm. climate change is something else." Um, and so there's this sort of disconnect between what people understand is taking place and what the larger impact is. And I feel that in this case, just like in the case of COVID, um, mm-hmm. you know, someone like Trump, although I didn't give him a lot of credit for his, um, for his intelligence or his understanding of topics, and maybe that still might be true, but it seems like he has information. You know, he's getting information uh, as the president, as he's supposed to be given briefs and updates from different individuals. So it's not possible that everyone in that group and everyone around them could all be trying to be hide information. Just like those uh, audio tapes that came out of him talking about COVID, he, he understood that it, the, the rates of death were higher. He understood that it was serious and that it was uh, transmitted by, uh, not just by contact, possibly airborne, so, some things like that. that he, so he's definitely getting this information. But clearly, there are so many other factors, political factors, economic factors. People are trying to look out for their economic interests and even political interests in this uh, in this bigger ball game. And uh, someone today, I, I, I'm like you, you know, once in a while, I get to, it's almost like watching entertainment when you turn on, you know, any of the cable news channels. But uh, there was a professor um, actually on Fox News, um, yeah. professor from the East Coast, and um, she actually spoke about the issues of protests and what's happening with police violence. And the other person they brought on to speak 
said, yeah, you know, but we don't support violence. And we understand that the, there are some police making mistakes. And then he quickly jumped to, well, Donald Trump is doing this and Joe Biden is doing that. And I thought, wow, that's so sad. And she gave a great response. She said, look, this is not you're jumping to politics. You know, you're turning this into a political game when this is about the individual human lives, the people that have lost their lives, the people that are suffering, the people that are facing the consequences uh, on the ground. And it's it's good to hear that, you know, people do understand that. And that is a perspective that's out there. But uh, it's easy to get washed up in the sort of excitement or the energy or the even the fear, the fear mongering that's happening, right? I think both sides, in my opinion, are fear mongering. I, I think the Democrats are also saying, are, are saying, for example, like we should really be afraid of this greater issue in such a way that only they can help us. And that's mm -hmm. the type of fear mongering that everybody, ben that they benefit from when they put you in a position to think that, oh, your only hope is, you know, to come to my side, give me your money, you know, vote for me, et cetera, for, for us to solve this problem for you. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, here, unfortunately, bring out yeah. the weirdest, uh, not weirdest, but like strangest uh, issues, unfortunately. Yeah, you know, like I was really shocked when, uh, you know, the tapes from Donald Trump came out. I don't even know why I was shocked. You know, we have to realize that uh, us as, you know, citizens of the United States, we have access to so much information. Hmm. Right? Imagine the actual leader of the country. Uh, and, you know, like we come across information uh, without looking for it. There, you know, like he has people that are looking for that information. And we know that, you know, they, you know, this access is there, but what's missing is what to do with that information once he got it. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't think like, I don't think he's ignorant of, you know, what's going on and the dangers of all of these things that are happening because, mm -hmm. you know, the, 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 uh, like you said, there's not a, there's too many people involved for all of them to try to, you know, lie on this thing and uh, push one narrative. But once it gets to him, they can't control mm -hmm. what he does with it. Right. right when the doctors tell you you know this is what covid is doing the scientists are telling you all they can do is tell him at that moment but mm -hmm. after that he has to make the decision on what is he going to do with this information mm -hmm. yeah yeah you guys see that um did you guys see the the uh mail-in ballots have trump advertisements on them so the ballot mm -hmm. is hidden inside and it's wrapped around an entire advertisement for Trump. So people mm -hmm. are throwing them out, not realizing their actual mail-in ballot is inside of it. No way. Wow. Yeah. Oh That's my funny. God. Yeah, I've, I've heard a few people now, and I hope we can, maybe if we find someone who could dive into the more details here, but I've heard from a few people, you know, it, it, it's, it's shaping up to be a very contentious election cycle. And people I've had several people ask or talk about, like, what are the different scenarios? You know, what if what if someone wins by a little, and, you know, decides not to leave? But I think that's going to open up a, a whole other can of worms in this conversation in particular. <laughs> so I thought what we could do is um, we could switch slightly. Um, if you guys wanted to touch on that, we could. But I... I I'm going to spring sort of something a little more lighthearted before we get to the next subject, which is, uh, which I think both of you follow a little bit. I know uh, we've talked about this in the past, but uh, what is your take on, uh, have you been keeping up with the NBA playoffs? <laughs> um, so uh, the <laughs> NBA playoffs, 
I know you being a Lakers fan was a very good day for yesterday. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so I've been a little bit here and there. You know, I yeah. get snippets, uh, group chats I'm in, uh, you know, filled with, you know, talks about the NBA. And uh, I'm guessing it was a very good day for you yesterday. <laughs> so why don't you tell us? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just one of those, I figured uh, it's a little bit, um, a little bit of normal. Because the other day we were out and, you know, both my wife and I were like, out as in like we had to go to the store to get something diapers actually you know yeah out in a, in a normal sense but we were both kind of like yeah, it's 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 starting to feel a little cumbersome you know the mask and the experience and the like it, it's a different like you i don't know how much longer someone could maintain it of course you, you do it out of necessity but uh it starts to wear on you you know and, and i don't even think i know other people who are much more strict about not leaving the house or much more strict about what they do and what they don't do. And so for me, this is one of those things where uh, it, it gives you a little bit of the normal flow of life, you know, like if you're used to watching the playoffs or something like that. I think it's interesting. I'm, I'm glad that they're continuing something. Uh, it definitely gives people um, uh, something to sort of wind down with. And uh, I, I don't know, I, to, to, to be honest, between the Clippers and the, the Nuggets, the Nuggets are really the hot team right now, so uh, that might be a harder, uh, you know, Western Conference final finals for for LeBron, LeBronjulis Lakers. But uh, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. I think it's it's been a good a good playoff so far, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's just been uh, this uh, like the schedule is so different. Mm-hmm. You know, the games are like back to back to back to back almost every day. There's a game. Yeah, not how you know normally it is. Right. There's no travel, so they're all in one place. There's no travel. They're all they're all in Orlando, right? They're they're Yeah. They're in right. Yeah. That's even that's a, I think that's even an interesting term for it, right? The NBA bubble. Like they created this little like uh, closed off environment, just the players, just the people that are that are part of that little circle. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I thought it was uh, there's that. There's the NFL starting back up. I noticed the NFL stadiums were practically empty. If I don't know. I think only a couple of stadiums in the country have uh, particular players, but it, it did remind me of how much the economic pressure is to, for people to return, you know, back. And to be honest, I, I oftentimes reduce it just to, Oh, the really wealthy owner of the, the stadium, but it's true. That's true. That person isn't going to be as affected and I'm sure they want to make more money, but mm-hmm. there's also all the people that work there. I mean, there's got to be hundreds, if not thousands of people at each of these stadiums and each of these games. They're the people doing the like the cleaning or the, they're working in the restaurant or providing other services. And that means all of them don't have that regular seat job if it's seasonal or otherwise. Um, yeah. to, and that's probably that's probably how they you know feed their families. That's that's how they keep the roof over their heads. So I think it's having a much bigger impact that we're not seeing yet. Yeah, and I and I think it's like slowly we're gonna have to get out of you know this this uh, living under COVID, and to see some things you know go back to uh, you know how they're supposed to be, even though it's you know a little bit uh, changed and it's not as normal you know as it was, but it's good you know to be able to just turn on the TV and then be like okay, even though the world is going crazy, there's a basketball game. That's yeah, for a few minutes, let me just. Let my brain, you know, come here and you know, not worry about what's out there. It, it was, um, I don't know what you think, Starmud. We've talked a lot about this, like kind of the hustle and bustle of life and just sometimes how that becomes a distraction. 
And I'm wondering if, um, if this type of like sort of almost feeling normal is taking away people from that uncomfortable feeling of like, what's happening, right? Why is this happening? You know, what am I doing with my life? What's the purpose of things? Uh, should I just be trying to live a quote unquote normal life? Or should I be asking myself, like, is there something more here? Yeah, I mean, even before COVID, I used to think about this a lot. You know, if you study history, you you read about, like, um, how the Roman Empire used sports to distract its citizens from the politics of the time. And, um, yeah, like, you know, how sports has become, like, that thing that really distracts a lot of folks. Like, don't get me wrong. I love team sports and stuff. Like, I enjoy playing it. I enjoy watching it as well. But at the same time, with all these issues happening in society, it's like, is it all really just a distraction to numb ourselves? I don't know. Um, and now, especially more so with the election around the corner, with, you know, us recovering from COVID. Definitely, like, it, you know, you want, you want, like you said, like, you feel that level of anxiety and stress. So, like, you want to be able to have something to turn to, to, I don't want to say distract, but at least uh, entertain you. I think like sports in general, like this is their main purpose for those that are not participating in it. Right? All it's doing is you don't want to think about the life that you're living or what is what is the societal value exactly? Yeah, like sports. uh, Because if you really think about it, what do we really get from watching it? You know, we're not uh, like it's just that the fact that this whole time. I have something else to think about that's going to make me happy. And I think this is the reason why, like, people react so differently, uh, you know, based on how a team does, right? Like, it wouldn't make sense to us to, you know, go and have riots if, if a team that we followed, uh, you know, did horrible or if it won a championship. But for other, like, other people that are really invested into this and this is the only outlet that they have from, you know, the, the, from life, it, it's really going to have an impact on them. And then you see, you know, the reaction that comes with it. I think that would be an interesting thing to dissect in the future as well. uh, They talk a lot about there's there's different components of what make up, you know, who we are as individuals. And this this uh, this wanting and this desire to be part of a tribe. They talk about the value of it and how it benefits the individual and why we seek out this, you know, so naturally tribes were part of the environment and the communities in the world uh, throughout history and today if you're separated from that right then you start to form these tribes either with the sports teams with colleges with maybe neighborhoods that you're a part of cities that you're a part of start to develop this um this sort of tribal mentality and this so you start to act in a in a way that might not necessarily always be about yeah. your own best interest but you're you're focused on something about the larger group or willing to go along with something with the larger group as well so I, that, that'd be a fun one to, to dissect a little bit more about yeah so essentially you're saying loyalty to your sports team has replaced loyalty to your tribe and all of the societal uh function that it served in back in the day yeah it's i, I think that captured two parts of it really well this loyalty aspect of it but also the kind of distraction entertainment aspect of it because it's also in reality, I think it's so critical for um, for the, the politicians, people running or, or people maintaining status quo, that people don't feel recognized too much of how big the problem is, right? If you start yeah. to know too much about what's happening with COVID and how poorly 
Um, the government handled that at all levels, right? I'm not just not, it's not a partisan issue. I'm not saying it's a Democrat issue, no, across the board. Um, it's hard to see what's happening with uh, these, not, these disasters that are taking place. We're calling them natural disasters, of course. They're, they're having uh, their, their, whether it's fires or hurricanes, et cetera. You know, it's not like whether you're a Democrat or Republican, both sides have been benefiting from the fossil fuel industry. Both sides have been benefiting from the energy industry, the global relationship with other partners. And that's uh, at least one thing I, I wanted to come back to, which we, which I mentioned earlier. But, you know, there's the other maybe big news that came out in the last couple of weeks in the midst of all of this is what's called the normalization of relationships between, you know, some of the Gulf countries and the, uh, the state of Israel. And I was curious if you guys, you know, yeah. Uh, like why? Why was this such a unique time for them to move that forward? I think you know, Fred, you said this. Like, there's nothing new. You know, we know we knew everyone knew that these you know relationships between these governments. But why do they try to formalize it now? Why publicize it? I I think like you know we've reached uh, the point where uh, this is the time where there wouldn't be a reaction to what actually happened. You know, if this was. Um, so, like, we already knew that, you know, the, the, uh, I talked to, you know, one of, uh, one of, uh, a close friend of mine that's Palestinian. And I asked him, you know, how do you feel about this? He said, I feel nothing. Like, this was already happening before. Now it's just, hey, you know, they, they go from doing it under the table to doing it, you know, above the table. So nothing really changes. But I feel like the reason why they're doing it, especially at this time, is because the, we've become numb to it. Like, we've realized that this is happening. So if they do it now, like, who cares if it happens? You know? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I was reading, an, uh, I was reading, uh, where did I read this? Uh, someone was mentioning how Trump was trying to get the recent book that's, or the, the book that's coming out about him in like a month, uh, or came out about him recently. He was trying to get the author to talk about how I need to find the actual source of this, but uh, he was trying to get the author to talk about how he, Trump has solved peace in the Middle East by bringing these Arab states together on the table with Israel. Because they just signed it yesterday, right? Like the, the the heads of these Gulf states were here in the U.S. and they were meeting at the White House and, to sign this, and they were they were they were counting it as like a big diplomatic win for the United States. And how that's how the White House was trying to portray this, um, or Trump's administration specifically. Yeah, I, I find it really interesting that uh, the timing of it, you know, and, and why this uh, there is such sort of um, there, it, it seems that in the in the Middle East and in the Muslim majority countries, there seems to be more outrage about this. And I think everyone else maybe is too busy really to, to respond to this or to discuss it. Um, but it, it feels like such a big betrayal to the Muslims that. Uh, Governments who don't have authority from their from their population, from the people living there, are making decisions that are um, contradicting, you know, what the people themselves in, in Palestine would want. Um, and it, it doesn't. Uh, it, I know that they said it's funny that they they were talking about how the some of the leadership in Israel, in particular, they were pushing for more settlements and taking of more territory, annexing more territory in the West Bank. And then they're they're continuing to do that, 
but they said, we're not going to do it as much, or we won't do this thing that we said that we were going to do. So it's like me telling you, Hey, I'm going to rob the bank, but wait a minute, I decided not to rob this bank. So now you should reward me because I, although I told you I was going to rob the bank, I decided not to. And so that illegal activity that they were doing in the first place, when they just, when they say, okay, we'll do less of it, or we won't do it in this case, uh, somehow that means that we should praise them or reward them for, uh, for not taking that illegal action in the first place. Um, there's, I think there's a few levels of, uh, of frustration around this. I know it's a topic that I, I hope, uh, if you guys know of someone, we should, should really bring someone on to, to talk about this, because I feel like it's, it's almost like since college, I feel like many people, you kind of have this energy in college and then it sort of fades and you don't hear about it much. You don't hear about it in the, in the Jummah Khutbahs. You don't hear about it in the Muslim community, not generally, except if some you know big event takes place. And even then, I think people uh, are talking about it, but it's, uh, I think it's, it's a relevant topic to make sure we're, we're staying educated on. Yeah, for sure. So... So the last one I wanted to switch us off to was something that we'll do differently this week is uh, the book that I mentioned is a book titled Faith First, A Guide to Awakening Iman. And this is a translation and adaptation by the Muslim American Society publishing team. And this is by, a book by Magdi Hilali. It's, it's titled in Arabic, Al-Iman Awalan. So uh, I, I love the, the title that they have here, Faith First, A Guide to Awakening Iman. And I'll just read a short excerpt, which is a, sort of maybe a summary for the, the content of the book itself. And then maybe we'll talk a little bit about the, the first part of the introduction. Um, so I thought this one really captured it well, and it's relevant to what we were talking about today. It said, the need to be God-centered is written in our DNA. We are beings created for worship. We knew God in another dimension before our existence on this earth. And so we yearn for him from deep within our soul, just like the one who is dehydrated may crave unhealthy food. We feed on distractions in order to forget the thirst of being disconnected from him. So that's just that, that short little, uh, uh, you know, kind of excerpt to give you a flavor of what the, the overall book is about. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I wanted to get your thoughts. If you guys have read this before, I know this is the first time the English adaptation is being put together. Um, and what did you guys think of this intro as well as the, the first intro to the book? Saramad, go ahead. Yeah, I just started reading it, to be honest. I, I don't have uh, deep reflections yet. But one thing that I thought was really interesting that struck me in the introduction as I was reading was um, it was talking about how for the first 10 years, uh, the Muslims at the time of the Prophet وسلم, did not have like the five obligatory prayers like we have today. Mm -hmm. uh, instead, what they had was the night prayer. And the night prayer was essentially obligatory at the time. Mm -hmm. So everyone, you know, I believe it was, um, here's the hadith, Sa'ad Sa ibn Hisham. Sa'ad ibn Hisham asked Aisha, the Prophet's wife, mother of the believers, tell me about the night prayers of the Prophet وسلم. She said, haven't you read Surah Muzammil? Allah exalted prescribed night prayers at the beginning of the surah. So Allah's Prophet and his companions prayed that way for a year. And Allah held back the revelation of the end of the surah for 12 months. Then Allah revealed the end of the surah, which lightened the burden. And so night prayer became voluntary after it had been obligatory. And, you know, of course, in Surah Muzammil, it, it tells you to stay up for half the night or a little less. And so it was, he was just talking about the importance of this worship even though later in, 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 during the Wahid, during the revelation, it became voluntary. 
just the essence of how Islam in the, for the early believers, you know, the first 10 years, that was a core aspect of their regular ritual and, and worship, um, which oftentimes now we neglect uh, the night prayer, unfortunately. Subhanallah. Um, this is, you know, first we have to uh, really give a shout out to the mass publishing team uh, to be able to, like I've read a little bit of uh, the, uh, after the last week we were together, I got the PDF for uh, the book in Arabic. And then, you know, read through it a little bit and then seeing how it's, you know, actually translated uh, in a way that, you know, it makes sense. A lot of, uh, you know, books when they get translated from Arabic to uh, from Arabic to English, there's two ways, you know, that people go about it. Either they literally translate everything. Right. So you have like things that don't make sense in English. They're there and you're confused on, you know, what is this, you know, uh, even saying or you have some people that, uh, you know, try to take out the message. Uh, try to summarize the book as a translation, and then a lot of things are you know are left out. But here, Subhanallah, they manage to you know like give you what the book is saying and make it sound normal. Like this is something you can actually read, right? No, nothing you have to uh, go and look up, you know. So Alhamdulillah, you know, shout out to them for being able to do this. But um, on you know what our brother Salman said, the Surah Muzammil, you know, this is either the second surah to be revealed or the third surah, uh, you know the first few ayats where the Prophet has to you know start praying during the night. And can like the Prophet prayed to the point where nobody else can, you know, from his ummah is able to pray like him. You know, we have a hadith from the companions of the Prophet that used to go and pray the night prayer with him and they would get tired. They would be amazed at how much he's praying. And you know if you keep reading uh in Yahul Muzammil they the, the reason why they used to have this you know night prayer it is because the Prophet ﷺ was told, We're going to give you some heavy words. They're going to come to you in order for you to bear it, in order for you to you know, be, be able to take it. You have to be standing during the night. Right? So the companions, they knew what was coming. So they continued to uh, you know, hold on to the, uh, the night prayer. And then today we know how it is. You know, it's only something that's uh, done during the month of Ramadan and not even done as you know, the people that, that used to do it before. SubhanAllah. Yeah, I, I wanted to capture. Um, uh, let me get this, uh, this audio right. And I, I love these points that you guys are highlighting from this intro here. And he he actually in this intro they actually also highlight why um, why this particular book is is titled Awakening Faith. Why they start at this point of awakening, and they mentioned that uh, it's the other books that explore this topic. Uh, one mm -hmm. of them is Madaraj Salikin which is translated as like the steps or the pages of the seeker by Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziyah. And in this book, he describes many stations. And this is, I'm just reading out from, from some of the parts of the introduction here. And so the first stage that he starts with, or the first station is the awakening. And then it continues to repentance and sincerity and patience and gratitude and on. And so uh, that book covers some of the practical, doesn't have as many of the, the practical recommendations and is not uh, organized as a how-to guide. But I think this book is capturing more of that. This book is just focusing, focusing on that first part of that awakening and that reviving of the heart so that it could then start to perform its real function. And I think it's a beautiful thing because we often, both from the a person who's lived maybe their whole life as part of a religious community, as part of a, maybe a, a family that practices, uh, we, we might not have 
the same sort of experience with what this book is speaking about. So I think it brings to light a lot of ideas about what, you know, where the heart should really be that could benefit a person who's been practicing and is currently practicing. But I also think, you know, we said, you know, people looking around and looking at all the, the challenges that, that are going on currently, and think like, what is this about, right? I think even that person can read from this uh, something that kind of uh, resonates with their heart, with their fitra that resonates with their, their natural uh, disposition, that there's something more to the heart here. And first, you need to go through this process of awakening the heart before you can actually move on to the other stages uh, that a person can sort of traverse through in this relationship with the creator and this life that he's given us. Do, do you know if that book, Madarji Salikin, is translated to English? I think I've come across a translation of it. I can't recall who, though. Um, I don't know, Sarmad, if, you, if, you've, if you've seen any. Uh, no, I'm not sure. Yeah, I that's feel a, like... That's a very amazing book, by the way. Oh. Um, so the whole, you know, like the, the, the title of the book is uh, like the seekers of the, uh, you know, the steps of the seekers between the the whole book is just based like a tafsir of this two, the, this small ayah in, uh, in uh, Surah Al-Fatiha that we read every day. And I think the Arabic one is in over 800 pages talking about what, what does it mean for when you say So if you guys can find the English version, you know, it would be really amazing to, uh, to read it, inshallah. Yeah, I, I love that. I think if we get a chance, I'm hoping we get an early copy of... Uh... Of what's been translated from this, uh, yeah, this faith first, and maybe this is like a good, uh, you know, broader in-depth analysis from that awakening phase, and then we can learn, we can read more about. It. I'd be very interested in that. I've heard about that book so much, I've never actually, you know, had the time to sit down and study it. Um, Which one? Madawi Sadikin. Sadikin, yeah. Gotcha. The 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 other part of this, which I think you guys touched on, I think we don't often reflect is. Um, or at least on myself, I, I don't often really sit back and ask myself. A lot of people want to claim that uh, the prophet peace be upon him or any prophet or any person who came in history that tried to bring about some sort of, you know, uh, um, structural organized religion. There's always a claim that, oh, people are just after money. People are just after fame. People are just looking out for their own interest and want popularity, etc. But one of the incredible things is that it wasn't the Prophet's own statements about his night prayer. Like we never have him, at least I'm, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with him going around and telling people, oh, look at me. My, my prayer in the night is so much like, I look at me, guys, I'm so sincere. Because I think the, it, that night prayer itself reflects a level of sincerity that you can't find in someone who's trying to fake it. Right. The person who's trying to fake it, the hypocrite is trying to get seen. They want to be seen for the few minutes. Right. And the only way you can be seen, even if you're trying to act religious or spiritual or whatnot, or, or pious or good or et cetera, you have to be seen in the light. You have to be seen in the daytime when people are up and they can observe your actions. So that, that type of person, yeah, once in a while they could show up and try to make some big show about their spirituality or their godliness or their how important they are. But the person who's spending you know, most of their time in the quiet of the night, in the darkness of the night, and the privacy of their own home, 
um, it, it, that reflects a different type of person, a different type of sincerity. And it wasn't, it wasn't him that told people, ah, look, I pray so much. We have examples from his wives, from his uh, other companions. So many different people talked about that, uh, that aspect of his, war, his relationship with Allah. And I think that that also, ref- I think, is a good sign for us that it should be one of the things that we seek for. Like, it doesn't have to be something difficult. It doesn't have to be that only waking up in the la- last part of the night. In fact, any part of the night where you're praying in, in privacy after Aisha, it's, it's part of that night prayer. Subhanallah. You know, I hope that uh, this awakens us to really, uh, you know, take a look at uh, the night prayer and try to become, you know, people that have a portion from it, even if it is, you know, one rak'ah, even if it's two rak'ahs. You know, this is, uh, you know, going to uh, the Prophet ﷺ coming and, you know, not doing this thing for wealth. If you really study, you know, the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, he has always been poor. You know, there's not, like, even in Medina, the Prophet ﷺ, we can never look at him and say that he was wealthy. This is not, uh, you know, something that he had. You have, you know, when, when he was passing away, what, what were the few things that he had, you know, to, to give away in sadaqah? They were the, uh, a sheep that they had, and they had seven gold pieces, right? And this is all he has that's left to him. So when, if this is, you know, at the end uh, of him coming with the message and, uh, you know, getting so many followers, Islam expanding, you know, all over, and this is how he passes away. You, like, the claim that, you know, he was, this was done so that he can... Uh, you know, enrich himself. This, like, you can't prove that, right? It's it's the opposite. And you know, the du'a that he used to make. You know, oh Allah, you know, allow me to be uh, from the people that are poor. Oh Allah, allow me to live amongst them. Allow me to, li- you know, die as a poor person, uh, and allow me to be resurrected as a poor person. And then when Aisha said, "Why do you want to live like that?" He said, "You know, the the poor people will enter Jannah. You know, fifty thousand. I, I don't remember the exact number. I have to go back and just, but." 50,000 or, you know, 50 years before the uh, the wealthy people get to enter Jannah. SubhanAllah. Didn't the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam say that uh, the fitna that he fears most for this ummah is wealth? Oh, SubhanAllah. I believe you know, he, SubhanAllah. He, yeah, he said, I, I, I don't fear the, the you know f- poverty for you. What I fear mm-hmm. is you'll be tested with so much wealth and you're going to you know, run after it, and through that, you running after the wealth, you're going to be destroyed, just like the people before you. They were tested I mean, with wealth, and it was, you know, the wealth that destroyed them. Are arguably the events that we're seeing recently with the UAE and Bahrain signing these agreements, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's all about wealth in the end of the day. Um, about retaining their power and their wealth. Why else would they, why else would they agree to this? Subhanallah. Yeah, yeah that's... Yeah, sorry. That, that's definitely it's something that I think crosses people's minds when, especially with people who have so much wealth that they're that they're willing to, you know, uh, for such a small price, you know, take advantage of, of others that don't. But uh, but I, I wanted to share also. I really like the point that you mentioned about um, the Prophet I'm in his uh, sort of austerity or his his aspects of his life where he wasn't necessarily um, uh, extravagant in. And there's a, uh, at least there's always that, that reflection about, uh, I believe there's an ayah that talks about the birds that go out and the trust that they have in Allah, that they will be provided for. Um, and I think that's what happens to people when you, you start to lose that and you think that the, the things that you have are because of your own accomplishments. 
you start to feel like this is the reason I have these things. I have this money. I have these access to, uh, to, to whether food or resources or even sometimes, you know, access to people and other things uh, because of those uh, accomplishments or achievements. But the last couple of weeks, you know, having been limited to other activities, I've had a chance to go to the beach a few times. And going out to the beach, you see uh, groups of birds, you know, different types of birds. They, at the different times of day that you go, they're actively eating from the coastline. Right? So on the coast, you find those birds that kind of run back and forth. And I always wondered what they were doing. I, I was wondering if it's, the water's bringing something, right? Or is it, but what I found is that it's actually, there are these little types of little like, crabs or some type of shell, uh, shell, not fish, but some type of like, small mollusk or type of animal that, that's you know, buried into the sand. And when the water comes forward, that creates like a softer place that the bird can then dig its uh, beak in and, and pick from those wow. out. And so it's just, they just go back and forth eating. And then you find a little bit later, you find that all of them are kind of just sitting and resting, you know, they're kind of like almost napping <laughs> in big groups, you know, in the sand. And then other times you see them get up and take off. And there are other whales and other animals, you know, hundreds of yards off the coast and, or fishermen. And, and there's, there's more fish that's available. So Allah is constantly providing the sadist, like everything on this planet is, is given the risk every day from Allah, including us, you know, and we're the ones that we have the capacity to plan and prepare. And usually we have months, if not years of our, of our risk and our, and our capacity and uh, sustenance uh, planned for. And yet still we're, we're trying to, you know, grasp the world. But I think this is where this book uh, captures some really great questions, at least to get you thinking. This question of, you know, what is holding me back in my faith? Why don't I feel anything when I worship? Why do good deeds sometimes seem to so tedious while sinning is so easy? Um, has God turned away from me? You know, these types of questions, I think, are important questions for us to ask ourselves. And even if it's not, why do good deeds seem so tedious? It's also sometimes that um, we feel maybe stingy or we think that our time is better spent in something else. And we have such a beautiful example of the Prophet, peace be upon him, who gave us a complete example of what, uh, how our time should best be spent, um, balancing all the different responsibilities. You know, Rashad, I'd love to do a deeper analysis on this topic. Um, this is something that's really been on my mind lately about the, what is the right balance between contentment mm -hmm. and ambition? And what I mean by that is you see examples in the life of the Prophet where he mentions the hadith in which he says, I believe, I'm paraphrasing, that if you have your health, you have a place over your head, you have shelter, and you have food for one day, then it's as if you have the entire dunya. So he's emphasizing the importance of be content with what Allah has given you. And on the other, you have, you have stories of the Prophet digging a trench and telling the Sahaba, Rome and Persia are going to be in your hands. So he's mm -hmm. building this ambition in their hearts. He's building this, you're going to be civilization builders. He's giving this like uh, vision to them at a time when they're about to be annihilated, you know, during the battle of Khandaq. Mm -hmm. So what is that right balance between contentment with what Allah has given me? And yet, maybe I, I used to think that this was like maybe Silicon Valley bias where I just want to build, 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 and I want to have dream big and I want to build the next you know, billion dollar company and, and, and take over the world, you know, you know what I mean? Like, what is that balance between the two? 
And as Muslims, as individuals, how do we how do we strike that balance? I think that's a great struggle that I go through where like sometimes I feel restless and I'm like, I'm not doing enough. And other times I'm like, well, look at what Allah has blessed me with. Why am I not still content? Man, that would be a really interesting thing to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd, I'd love to. Uh, I think as we wrap up now, that's a great one for us to carry on into the next uh, session. And there are some other aspects of this uh, intro to this book that I think we can touch on um, that, that might relate to it as well. Uh, some of it might just have to do with uh, the question you asked. Some of it might even just have to do with uh, the right perspective. Because I think there are there is like a seeming contradiction, like an apparent, uh, you know, outward con- possible contradiction. But in reality, I think it's, it's a much more harmonious experience because we have the people who we gave that advice to, like living for decades longer. And then we see, you know, like we see them balance that contentment with, um, uh, with, uh, with that ambition. So I think uh, there's going to be some, I think that'll be a really interesting conversation, inshallah. Inshallah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, before we close, you know, yeah. this, uh, I want to say, Ali ibn Abi Talib, when he was asked, you know, how should a believer be in the dunya? He said, you know, when we worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, worship him, worship him as if this is the last time, right? When you're praying, when you're fasting, this is the last time you're going to do this thing. When it comes to the matters of the dunya, you know, plan as if you're going to live here forever. Like death is never going to come to you. But do not, you know, mix these two things together. Don't mix the, uh, you know, the actions of the dunya uh, and, you know, the actions of the akhirah together. Yeah. So, you know, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll see how, uh, you know, this conversation pans out. Yeah. Inshallah. Inshallah. I wanted to close with just one more of expert, the uh, one one more excerpt from this book because I think it'll it'll capture really well. Hopefully, uh, anyone listening, their attention and their interest to read read more about it. So this excerpt is again from the introduction, and it's just a short paragraph, so I'll just read it. It says, we know that God is near, but we may still feel a lack of spiritual connection. It can be hard to identify the cause because we appear to be doing fine on the outside. We dash around on freeways and airplanes with things to do and places to go, carrying the latest gadgets in our pockets and accessing all of human knowledge with the click of a finger. We distract ourselves from the emptiness in our hearts with entertainment and indulgence. Although we are couched in luxury, we are spiritually starved and more anxious, alone, and depressed than ever before. Subhanallah. It quotes this one ayah, which I think uh, captures this really well. It says, it's ayah from Surah Taha, if I'm not mistaken, ayah 124. And uh, the, the, it's, it's part of the ayah, it says, so this, the translation of the meaning here is, but whoever turns away from my remembrance, meaning, meaning the remembrance of Allah, will certainly have a miserable life. So it's the, uh, it's definitely, I'm sort of just opening a topic here, and I think it will tie back to this contentment and ambition uh, conversation that we can have, inshallah, for next time. But I hope that uh, motivates someone to to check this out. We'll post a link and, and what will be available for everyone as well. Perfect. All right. Uh, if you guys have any closing thoughts, you know, please share. And if not, Imam Fuad, you can wrap us up with Dua, inshallah. Perfect. Inshallah. Salamat. No, no. Alhamdulillah. 
Um, I hope that you know this uh, conversation that we had, you know, really awakens us, especially uh, the part about you know awakening our faith uh, with the night prayer. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala give us tawfiq to be able to stand in the night and worship Him. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala grant us ease in this dunya and in the akhirah. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala save us from the punishment of the dunya, the punishments of the hereafter, and the punishments of the grave. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala forgive us for our shortcomings, elevate us in this dunya and in the akhirah. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala grant us jannah from those at a'la, the highest of the paradises. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala have mercy on those that we love and those that love us. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala forgive every Muslim for any shortcoming. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala ease our affairs all over the world. ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وقنا عذاب النار صلى الله وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله السلام عليكم السلام ورحمة الله وبركاته